0: To Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to begin in verse 22. We're picking up the story of Jacob. We know Jacob and Esau. If ever there was a dysfunctional family, it was theirs. If you know Jacob's name means teal snatcher, trickster, the guy who lived by his wits outsmarting other people. Uh, in our day, we'd say he was a cheater. He cheated at everything and seemed to come out on top. He finally comes to a place in his life where he can't do that anymore. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis 34, or 32, verse 24, 22. But he arose that night, as Jacob, and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Then when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. Notice, as he wrestled with him, and he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. He said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Penel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. And therefore, to this day, the children of Israel did not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the muscle shrink. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you tonight. Again, we ask your blessing. And that would be that your Holy Spirit will make your word come alive and make it understandable to our minds. And Lord, we'll take it. We'll apply it to our lives. We'll live it out in our hearts that we won't be forgetful hearers of the word, but faithful doers. And Father, just have your way with us tonight. And Lord, uh, you just speak to us as only you can. Help us to ta- help us to take your word and grow from it. These things I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may not have heard of J.B. Fowler. He's a pastor, but he's also, uh, in his later years, he was the executive uh, or he was the director of the newspaper uh, for the state uh, uh, Baptist paper in New Mexico, the New Mexican, and he tells a story about the night his mom died. Now, he doesn't remember a whole lot about his mom died because she died when he was very young, but his father told him about it when he was old enough to understand and told him the story several times. And the story goes like this. The night in the dark air hours of the night uh, before she died, that early morning time, really early, uh, she turned to him and said, Bud, that was his daddy, if I can just hold on to daylight, I think I can make it. If I can just hang on to daylight, I think I'm going to be okay. And then before daylight, she passed away. Now, we come to this section of Scripture. If you didn't notice it, Jacob is wrestling with God. Okay. Jacob is wrestling. And right before daylight, he's still hanging on. And then because of that, he is blessed. And so what is the lesson there for us? We can persevere. When we act in faith. We can persevere when we act in faith. You see, I believe uh, Jacob knew he wasn't wrestling with a normal man. How strong did you have to be as a shepherd working all those years to come out on top from a father-in-law that wanted to cheat you out of everything? And you read the story. That's the way it was. The trickster got tricked. Worked seven years for one gal. They give you another one. Oh, my goodness. And then he was dumb enough to ask for the other one still. Say amen. It worked another seven years. That was his wages. Two wives and a bunch of kids. But you need to understand something. I think he knew he was wrestling with God. I believe that he knew what was going on. And in his deepest, darkest time of his life, he was traveling to face Esau, the brother he had tricked, the brother he had stolen the birthright from. The brother that he had wronged, and what he had heard was, as he's going to meet his brother, was that Esau was coming with four hundred men, four hundred more than enough to wipe him and all of his servants and all of, uh, of his progeny out, more than enough to to uh, really get vengeance, more than enough to set the score right, more than enough. He was up the creek without a paddle. He couldn't rely on his wits. He couldn't rely on his strength, however great it was, to get him out of this jam. For the first time, he had to rely upon God. And as he wrestles with God there across that brook, he had to come to the thing to say, I'm going to act in faith. If we're going to do that, if we're going to hold on till daylight, till God blesses us, there's some things that we need to do. The first one I've titled preparation. Preparation, in other words... Now hear me, we must do what we can. Ultimately, life is up to God. And as he leads us, he'll lead us the way we should go. But we're supposed to prepare what we can, to take care of what we can. You see, we need to prepare others for what may come. When you read this, it says that that he took his wife, he sent his servants on ahead and the camels and stuff on ahead so that if his brother attacked them, maybe the wives and children would get lost. And then he said, what if he comes tonight? What if he comes night? So he he sent them across the brook, and there he was left alone, so that if they attacked him, the wives and the children would be safe. We had to prepare others for what may happen. Uh, Jimmy said today that he and Carl, after our diagnosis, had talked a lot about the funeral service and what they what she wanted done, if if that's the way it went after the diagnosis. He said, Now we had planned on doing it after her first surgery, and she went downhill so quick. That she and I didn't go to do it, but said we went to do it while someone stayed with her and did just like what she wanted. I think even Carla then, you were talking about uh, keeping everybody straight. She had her calendar and knew what was coming. Okay, she prepared others. Uh, somebody said it. And I think they were right today that I think she knew on her calendar was the day they were doing that benefit. And she hung on till after that benefit. And then it was okay to go home. That was the last thing on her calendar. Now, I don't mean that literally. I mean to her, I reach this point and everything will be taken care of. Now, you can disagree with that. But see, we have to prepare others. But we also prepare our, have to prepare ourselves for what may come. Because I imagine, can you imagine, here your brother's coming with 400 guys. And all you can think of was the last time you saw your brother 20 years ago. The last time he saw Esau, Esau was breathing threats and murder. And just waiting for daddy and mama to die so that he could get his vengeance. And Esau was upset. And now Esau's coming with 400 men. Why else would he be coming with 400 men? I don't think I would have thought that he was coming to welcome me home with 400 warriors. And so he's trying to prepare himself for what may happen. This may be the end. God, you told me to go home. I've, I've done what you said. I'm acting in faith. But he's coming, God. And he's having to deal with that. What's he coming for? God, you told me to go home. I'm going home. Why is he coming with 400 guys? So he was rehearsing that, trying to prepare himself for what may come. You see, we need to understand that preparation is key in most of life. When you talk to the police, when you talk to the uh, Firemen, when you talk to the EMTs, the paramedics, even when you talk to the military, they'll tell you that in a crisis, it's not what happens during the crisis that's so important. What what happens before the crisis, the preparation for the possibility of a crisis that is so important. Now, listen to me. How many of you know what will happen tomorrow? Yeah, you better tell the truth. You don't know. I don't know. Now, we've got plans. We plan on doing this or doing that, but I think the best way to say it, if the Lord wills. We always use say, if the creek don't rise, that's another way of saying, if the Lord wills. You say, well, what are you talking about? You say, you need to prepare, but you need to understand that only God is in control. And you need to surrender to that control. See, I think for the first time in his life, he had to surrender to God and act in faith. That means preparing ourselves for what may happen, preparing others for what may happen. Well, here's, here's, here's a clue for you and for me. God knows what's going to happen, and he prepares us in our private time with him for what may happen. Be reading along in my Bible. Lord, I understand that, and this is what I think it means to me, but why are you giving me this scripture? In a week or two, he'll tell me why he gave me that scripture. Because he knew this was going to happen in my life or the church's life or that was going to happen. I thought, okay, Lord, thank you. If I just listen a bit closer, just a little bit closer, you're preparing. And see, if you miss your prayer time, if you miss your Bible study time, you're missing the preparation that God has for you. You miss your time of service. And God was preparing the church for some kind of blessing. But you missed it. See? People tell me all the time, well, I don't have to go to church, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you're not much of a Christian if you don't go to church. They don't like it when I say that. Elizabeth says I'm getting awful mouthy in my old age. And I am. It will be terrible if I live to be 80. But you see, if you're trying to hold on to daylight... You have to do what you can. You don't have to throw up your hands and give up, but you have to prepare. And I think the best way to prepare is to walk with the Lord who knows what tomorrow holds. Don't miss that time. Don't neglect that time. Don't back up on that time. Don't give up that time. Write it down. Make it, this is the, my time. Now, <clears throat> you do it when you want to. Early time works better for me because there's less going on and less phone calls, etc. But, but if you're going to do it, that's fine. You do it later. Don't do it right before you go to bed if you always fall asleep while you're praying. What's wrong with that? I went to sleep thinking about the Lord. What's wrong with that is you didn't finish business before you fell asleep. So if you're better in the mornings, get yourself up in the morning. If you're better at night, if you're a night out, one of those guys like to stay up all night long. Elizabeth thinks I do that too. Okay, and <clears throat> I have been known to stay up late. But you just get your business done with God. Do what you can. Because to act in faith requires preparation. To act in faith means that we have to spend time with God. How do you trust somebody that you don't spend time with? We need to understand that. One of the things that I tell folks all the time is, you need to make sure when we have these dinners at church and these fellowships at church, you need to be present. Well, Why? Because it's there that you learn people. It's there you learn to trust them. It's there you learn what their motives are. It's there you learn who they are. So that when there's a crisis in the church, you trust those that you've been hanging out with. I think most fights in Baptist churches happen, number one, because people want their own way. And number two, because they don't trust somebody else's way. Okay. How do you trust people? Spending time with them. How are you going to trust God? Spending time with Him. So prepare. Prepare. The second way to get ready to hold on to daylight is prayer. You prepare, you prepare, and you pray. That's hard to say together. See, you have to pray the matter through. You see, I think fear drives us to our knees. We didn't read it, but in verse 9 of this same chapter, Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, the Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all these mercies, of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Lest he come and attack me, and the mother with me, and the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. See, fear drives us to our knees. Sometimes we forget to thank God for fear. Sometimes we forget to thank God for pain. Sometimes we forget to thank God for those things which we really don't like. But those are the things God uses to draw us closer, to get us serious about praying. You see, I think, first of all, you need to pray about it alone. Now listen to me. There will be others come alongside you and pray. where two or more gather in his name. There he is. When two of you agree on anything, he'll do it for you. I'm all for that. But before you go seeking others, you need to seek God. It says he was left alone. That's where he needed to be. He had to get serious with God. Your first steps to get serious with God are going to be alone. Then you can take it public. Then you can take it to those that you trust. Then you can take it to those who are going to help you. But first of all, pray it through with God alone. But also, claim his promises. He repeatedly said, you told me to do this and I did it. You said you'd do this and I did it. Claim God's promises. You you start finding Bible promises, write them in the back of your Bible, put them on your phone, however you want to do it, highlight them. I don't care. But you start claiming those promises as a child of God. See, that matters to God. You are His child. And as surely as we would do everything we could for our kids, our grandkids, nieces, nephews, do whatever we could do, God will do even more for His children. We need to understand that, claim it. And then, I think from these verses we read, we have to hold on until the answer comes. You see, it, it amazes me that Jacob is strong enough that, that this theophany, this Angel of the Lord, Jesus incarnate, whoever it was, that was wrestling with him. You know, he could have pinned him. He could have won the day, but he just wanted to see how serious was Jacob. Think about that wrestling. You know, Jacob thinks he's getting upper hand. God puts him back down. Jacob thinks he's going to win. God puts him back in his place all night long, till the breaking of the day. And the angels saying, or, or God saying, "Let me go." Well, Why God want to let me go? Because if you saw his face, you're going to die. Have you ever thought about that? But see, he wouldn't let him go until he got the blessing. In prayer, do you give up before you get to the blessing? Do you give up? You think, I've done enough. I just trust God. Well, I'm glad you're trusting God. But did you wrestle with God long enough till you got the promise and the blessing? If not, you haven't wrestled with God long enough. See, a lot of times we settle for what is good. There's nothing wrong with settling for what is good, except that sometimes God has something else to give us, which is called the best. Okay? We need to understand that. The best illustration I can think of that is sitting right there by Hadley. She says, don't look at me. Everybody look at Elizabeth so she'll turn bright red, okay? You know, there was a time when I was engaged. I found a little girl. I thought, this is the one. This is the one. And I wake up now and think, oh, Lord, thank you, that wasn't the one. (laughs) Because I would have settled for what was good instead of the best. That is the best right there. Okay, for me. Okay. And do we do that? Do we settle for what is good rather than what is best? Do we complain about the trials we go through? That's me. Rather than thinking about the blessings on the other side that God wants to give us. In the midst of the trials, it's no fun. In the midst of the trials, it can be painful. In the midst of the trials, we often forget God's promises. But if we hang on, God says, I'm going to bless you. So hang on. Hang on till daylight comes. So the two things to do is preparation and prayer. And the third thing is persistence. Persistence. See, persistence means we walk by faith. Well, what does walking by faith mean? First of all, it means that other resources are inadequate. Other resources don't measure up. Other resources are inadequate. Other resources don't get the job done. However you want to say it. Now, you see, faith means I can't always see the answer, but I'm going to walk till God tells me to change direction. But other resources won't get it. You know, God didn't call you to read Oprah. God didn't call you, okay, some of y'all get that later, okay, to read the horoscopes. God didn't call you to call all your best friends, your buddies. God called you to call on Him. Only His resources are adequate to walk by faith. Only His resources will help you to hang on until the day breaks. Until the day breaks. But faith also means the light will come. I liked it. He said, Let go of me, for the day breaks in verse twenty six. Okay? He was left alone, he wrestled that man till the breaking of the day, verse twenty four. On and on and on it goes. So the day was breaking. The day was breaking. The morning was breaking. It's getting closer and closer that time. You could see the sky turn rosy. But you see, he had to hang on. Walking by faith says the light will come. When you're walking by faith, sometimes it's a dark path. But eventually, God shines the light. And you say, aha. And then as soon as you got that, aha, God lets you walk a little more in faith. He doesn't say it all at once. He doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen over the next 10 years. If he did, it'd scare us to death. We couldn't handle it. Do we understand that? But the final thing is realize when we walk by faith, when you're persistent in it, God will bless. I'm not giving you name it and claim it theology where you're going to sow a seed of a hundred bucks and reap a thousand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you just name it and claim it. No, I'm saying when you walk by faith and you persistently follow God, whatever God wants to go, whatever God wants you to do, and you're obedient to that, he will bless you. And he will bless me. It's sort of like, uh, I don't know about your house, used to be. A lot of houses had real silver. Anybody remember their parents or grandparents having real silver? Now, let me ask you and see how much you knew about the silver. What did the silver look like if they just took it out of the cabinet after a year or so? Tarnished. Okay. Do you know why it was tarnished? Say that again. See, we don't have real silver, but they tell me that real silver... If you use it all the time, like use it daily, it's just as shiny as it can be. But when you stop using it, it begins to tarnish. Your faith is the same way. My faith is the same way. When we use it every every day, it's bright and shiny and looks so good. And when we just sort of think, "I got this, God," I you know, it's okay today. I'm on my own, you know. And 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 then one day becomes a week, and then pretty soon we look around and say, "Where'd God go?" Well, God didn't move. We walked off. But when we're not using our faith, it tarnishes, it weakens. It's like uh, using your muscles. You use them every day, they work pretty good. You quit using them, they atrophy. Faith is the same way. When you use it every day, okay, we need to ask, am I walking by faith? Am I persistent in my walk of faith? Do I want God to explain everything before I'll move? I think uh, life is sort of like a sea captain. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking, all that stuff. You know, he was he was a pastor of Colgate uh, Marble Collegiate Church in New York City. And, and some of his critics said, you just preach positive thinking. He said, I don't preach positive thinking. I preach the gospel. You tell me anybody more positive than Jesus and I'll preach him. But he said... That's just what he said, but, but he said that he was traveling on one of those big ocean liners, taking one of them cruises, and, and they had to skirt a big hurricane in the Atlantic. And uh, the captain had read some of his books and had him up there, and they were looking out across there, and the waves were still a little bit rough. And, and he said, what do you think about it, captain? He said, oh, we're all right. He said, I live my life by one simple rule. He said, really, what is that? If the sea is smooth, it will get rough. If the sea is rough, it will get smooth. But with a good ship, you'll always make it through. Life can be real rough. Life can be real hard. But with a good faith in a great Savior, we will make it through. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe... You need to come and rededicate your life to more prayer time or walking by faith. Maybe you need to come and thank God for the preparations that he's made in your life to bless you. Maybe you need to come and make other decisions tonight. But whatever you need to decide, we want you to have that opportunity. I'll pray. Brother Ronnie will lead us in a hymn of invitation. And you come as only you can come. as As only as God wants you to come. Father, just be with us. Uh, Let us make decisions that will honor and glorify the precious name of Jesus. Let him be glorified during this time.